0: Next week, we have a great story for you. It's the story of Al Ron Hubbard and Scientology. Whether you're familiar with Scientology or not, it's an extremely interesting dive into what it takes to become a Scientologist and what it looks like when you are a Scientologist and how did Scientology even begin. This week on Do You Want to Hear a Story? We're bringing you an episode from our brand new podcast, Heists. It's the Antwerp Diamond Heists. If you like what you hear, I would suggest go check out the Heist channel The first three episodes are up now. Specialised Diamond Police, Patrick Pays and Agim de Bruca, responsible for the Antwerp Diamond District, a small three-block square area in Antwerp, Belgium. Around 80% of the world's rough diamonds pass through. Under 24-hour police surveillance monitored by 63 security cameras, in 2003, roughly $3 billion worth of gem sales were reported in Antwerp. I say reported because in a place like the Diamond District, you can bet not everything comes with a receipt. On the morning of February 16th, 2003, the Specialized Diamond Police would receive a call. The vault in the Diamond Center had been compromised. Now, this is only one of the most secure vaults on the planet, home to hundreds of millions of dollars worth of diamonds, cash, gold, and other precious gems. With 10 layers of security, two stories underground, cameras both in and outside of the vault, a combination dial on the door with over 100 million potential combinations, a key lock that requires a foot long key, a 3 ton solid door designed to withstand over 12 hours of constant drilling. Not that that matters, as it also has a built in seismic sensor that would trigger an alarm the second drilling started two metal plates on the wall and the door that create a magnetic field, preventing the door from being opened without an alarm going off. Behind all of this is a steel grate door requiring another key. And after all of this, behind both doors, you're in the vault, finally faced with another camera, a light sensor, a heat sensor, both of which are designed to trigger an alarm at the slightest variation in either light or temperature. Imagine how the diamond squad felt hearing the vault had been compromised. Rewind three years. In the year 2000, Leonardo Nortobartolo, the man who would be responsible for the fall of the great vault at Antwerp, rented a small office in the diamond center. He presented himself as a gem importer based out of Turin, Italy, and scheduled meetings with numerous dealers. He bought small stones, paid in cash, and he dressed well. The dealers had no idea that they had just welcomed one of the greatest gem thieves into their inner circle. By his own account, Nordobartolo had pulled off dozens of major robberies by the year 2000. as a teenager he stole cars and learned to pick locks in his 20s he devoted himself to the study of people tracking jewelry salesmen around italy for weeks just to understand their habits in his 30s he began to assemble teams of thieves each with their own specialty he knew everyone from lock picking experts alarm crackers safe crackers guys who could tunnel under anything or go over anything men that could climb buildings Each job brought a different mix of thieves into play. Most, including Norte Bartolo, lived in or near Turin, and the group came to be known as the School of Turin. Norte Bartolo's specialty was charm. Acting the part of the jeweler, he was invited into offices and workshops and even the vault room to inspect merchandise. He would buy a few stones and then, a week or a month later, he'd steal the target's entire stock in the middle of the night. Antwerp provided a wealth of opportunity and a good place to sell hot property. A diamond necklace stolen in Italy could be dismantled and its individual gems sold for cash in Antwerp. He came to town maybe once or twice a month, stayed a few days in an apartment near the Diamond District, and then he would drive home to his wife and kids in the foothills of the Alps. Approached one day by who Norto Bartolo would consider a trusted trader, he was asked, if you're free, I'd like to hire you for a robbery. A big robbery. A simple exchange of over €100,000 to answer, could you rob the Antwerp Diamond Centre? He was pretty sure the answer was no. He was a tenant in the building, he rented a safe deposit box in the vault to secure his own money in gems and diamonds. He viewed it as one of the safest places to keep valuables in Antwerp, but for 100,000 euros, he was happy to photograph the place and show the dealer how near impossible it really was. In the diamond center, photography is strictly forbidden, but with a small camera built into a pen sticking out of his shirt pocket, Nord Bartolo strolled through the center into the vault as he usually would filling the camera with photos. During business hours, the main vault door was left open, leaving only the steel gate to prevent access. It was completely impossible to knock the place over during the day, like any great heist, the key is to take advantage of a weakness in the system. The glaring weakness in Antwerp was how much the guards and the police trusted in the technology. No physical guards stood watch over the vault after hours. Whilst taking photos inside the vault, to draw no attention, norda Bartolo went through the motions of opening and closing his box, taking some things out, putting some things in. It's important to mention here that each box with inside the vault had possible combinations of over 17,500 variations. This vault was one of the hardest targets he'd seen. As always, there's speculation around the who, what, when and why. norda Bartolo claims the story of the dealer approaching him and setting up the plan in place is the truth. While others believe this story could be a cover, with the truth being that not with the truth being that mafia cousin put the job together, something that Norte Bartolo aggressively denies. Remember Ocean's Eleven? They built a replica of the Bellagio's vault in the warehouse. After the trader asked him to come and meet him at a warehouse just outside of Antwerp, Norte Bartolo was now standing in an exact replica of the Diamond Center's vault. The trader had obviously put this all together based on the photos that he'd given him, which explains why it's been five months since they'd last spoken. And up until this point, Nor assumed the trader believed him when he said it would be near impossible to break into. The trader had three men to introduce him to. The genius, a specializer in alarm systems, capable of disabling any kind. The monster, apparently monstrously good at everything from lock picking, Mechanical work, electrical work and driving. And lastly, the king of keys, an older man known to be one of the greatest forger of keys in the world. In the telling of his story, Norda Barlow would often refer to the men by their nicknames, never wanting to rat out a fellow criminal. With the crew in place and the target acquired, the only thing left to do was pull off one of the greatest heists in history. Thursday morning, February 13th, 2003, two days before the heist, police escorted armored trucks through the streets a special diamond delivery protection unit carrying this month's shipment of De Beers diamonds, worth millions. They do it every single month, the same protection unit, the same convoy through the streets. De Beers is the world's largest diamond mining company. In 2003, it controlled 55% of the global diamond supply and it operated mines in South Africa, Nambia, Botswana, among others. The rough, unpolished gems were flown to London, where they were divided and placed into 120 boxes, one for each official De Beers distributor, many of which were headquartered in Antwerp. This was the perfect time to clean out the vault. The last piece of the puzzle before the job was a go. Nordobalo had to visit the vault one more time as an everyday trader. With him, he took a can of women's hairspray. The idea was to spray the internal vault sensors with the hairspray, hopefully buying enough time to get into the vault without the sensors registering a change in light or temperature, giving them enough time to disable it. Just as midnight passed on the night of the heist, the crew pulled up in a rented Peugeot. Norto waits in the car, the genius, the monster, the king of keys and Norte Bartolo's friend Speedy, who was a last-minute add to the crew despite the others thinking Speedy was a neurotic mess and not needed, jumped out of the car and head around the back of the building into a private garden where, using a ladder that they'd left there earlier, climbed up onto the second-floor balcony. Now in the building, they made their way down into the vault, covering cameras with black plastic bags along the way and any heat sensors with polystyrene boxes. Time to start breaking down those 10 layers of security. The genius took care of the metal plates that conducted the magnetic field by using a custom-made aluminium rig that he stuck to the plates with heavy-duty double-sided tape, unscrewed the plates and taped them back to the wall, moving them away from the door, but not breaking the magnetic field. From videos that he'd seen from a small camera placed opposite the vault door to capture the guard inputting the combination code, the King of Keys also noticed the guard would visit a small cupboard both before and after unlocking and locking the door. Remember that footlong key that was needed to open the vault door? Well, talk about lack in security. The key hung in a small cupboard just around the corner from the vault door. Even though he had created a perfect replica of the footlong key, he figured he'd use the original. There was no need to let the safe manufacturers know that he was able to forge their footlong key. The King of Keys slotted the original into the keyhole and waited while the genius punched in the combination that they'd sourced from the video. A moment later, the genius nodded the monster turned off the lights they didn't want to trigger the light detector in the vault when the door opened in the darkness the king of keys turned the key and spun the four-pronged handle the bolts that secured the door retracted and it swung heavily open as the door opened speedy ran up the stairs it was his job to stay in touch with norder bartolo out on the street there was no phone service down in the vault upstairs he called and dialed his friend to let him know that we're in it was the monster's job to deactivate the sensors and the alarms As he practiced in the replica vault, he knew it was 11 feet from the door. He would walk in, in the darkness, reach up above his head, push back one of the ceiling covers, grab the two wires, both input and output to the alarm, create a bridge in the current. So essentially anything that they did in the vault now was not being registered by the alarm. Black plastic over the cameras and more polystyrene boxes over both the heat and the light sensors. They were now free to get on with the heist. The crew took turns emptying the contents out of each box. Since they'd memorized the layout of the vault in the replica, they worked in the dark, turning on the flashlights only for a split second, enough to position the drill over the next box. By 5.30 am, it was time to leave. It would take them close to an hour to get the hall up the stairs, out of the vault, get the bags into the back of Nardo Bartolo's car. Once done, the four men headed off on foot while Nardo Bartolo slowly drove off, all headed back to his apartment. In half an hour, they were huddled around the bags in the apartment. The monster unzipped one, pulled out a leather satchel. This was the time to celebrate. He opened the satchel. It was empty. He took out another one. Also empty. They unzipped all the duffel bags and rifled through all the satchels. More often than not, there was nothing in them. Agreeing, something has obviously gone wrong. The diamonds should have been here. The delivery was just bought in. Expecting close to 100 million in takings, they were now probably only looking at something closer to 20 million. Norto Bartolo's first figure that had to have been set up, dragged in on some type of insurance scheme. If the trader who bought these men together told his fellow traders what was going on, and to empty their boxes in the vault, they could still go ahead and claim all their diamonds stolen, essentially doubling their position. Most had safes in their office, they could have simply taken the stock out of the vault. Norto Bartolo quickly realised that the heist he'd spent so much time planning might have actually been part of an elaborate insurance scam as it seems with every heist there's always a point in the story where they look back and say if we hadn't have done this we would have gotten away with it it was nora bartolo and speedy's responsibility to get rid of any and all incriminating evidence something they figured they could do once back in turin it's a 10 hour drive away and it should have put more than enough space between them and the diamond center unfortunately speedy's paranoia couldn't get them through the drive with the evidence sitting in a plastic bag on the back seat he begged for them to stop along the way and burn it right there on the side of the road Norte Bartolo fed up with Speedy's incessant complaining and begging for them to stop and burn the rubbish pulled off on the freeway and found a little forest area to burn it he went through the forest looking for the right place to light a fire only to come back and see that Speedy completely losing his mind was throwing things all over the place literally throwing incriminating evidence all over the forest. If they even could in the complete dark, this would take hours to clean up. Like out of a movie, the next morning, Monday the 17th, the owner of the land that the forest sat on, Mr. Van Camp, was out hunting. He was well known to the local police because he would call them almost every week to complain about people dumping trash on his property. And sure enough, he found more trash today. Unbeknownst to him though, this trash would be all that was needed to crack one of the largest heists ever. He called the police as he would any other week and he reported the trash. This was a great day for him because for the first time in a long time, the police were happy to come out and investigate after learning that some of the trash Van Camp found was from the Antwerp Diamond Centre. Here's how it all came undone for them. Now the police have all but said, if it wasn't for essentially finding a gold mine of evidence on the side of a road, the likelihood of them ever cracking the Antwerp diamond heist would be next to impossible. If it wasn't for Speedy losing his mind and throwing trash, when I say trash, evidence all over the place, the likelihood of them getting away with it quite high. So here's how it all went. An invoice was found amongst the trash for a low-light video surveillance system. The buyer, Norto Bartolo, a business card that had the address and the phone number for one Elio Dionorio, an electronics expert, AKA the genius. The lab examined a half-eaten salami sandwich also found with the evidence, which led to a search of the apartment, which led to a receipt of said salami that was tracked back to a local grocery store that when watching the security footage would show one Ferdinando Finito, the monster. On Monday, about 36 hours after the job was completed, the team of thieves reassembled in a bar in Adro, Italy, a small town about 50 miles northeast of Milan. They had agreed to meet the diamond dealer there to divide the take. The dealer would get a third for financing the operation and putting the team together. The others would split the rest. they had originally anticipated a take in the tens of millions each member. Now they were looking at roughly $3 million per man. It was still a lot of money, but they couldn't help feeling they'd been played. Everybody had a lot of questions for the dealer. Hour after hour, no arrival. norta Bartolo was already uneasy about what had happened in the forest. He knew he'd made a mistake. He should have turned around, after dropping Speedy off at a train station, gone back to burn the garbage. It was an embarrassing oversight, but what really irked him was the fact that he'd vouch for his friend and under pressure speed he had cracked. They waited at the bar until closing, drinking espressos and then beer. The dealer never showed. That week, Thursday night, Norte Bartolo ate dinner with his family at home. He tried to pretend that everything was normal. As usual, his little granddaughter played with his mobile phone. For a moment, he forgot his worries. His biggest problem was that he needed to get back to Belgium. The rental car was due in Antwerp the next day, and the plan had always been to return it, show his face in the diamond center, He figured the cops were going to be looking for someone who may have been local that's now disappeared. He didn't want to get himself on that list. It would also give him an opportunity to clean his apartment more thoroughly. He told his family that he'd be leaving early next morning and his wife decided to come along. She hadn't seen much of him lately. The next morning after him and his wife left, the police surrounded their home in Italy. Acting on the surveillance system invoice discovered on Van Camp's land earlier, the specialized diamond detectives had asked the Italian police to search Norda Bartolo's house. His 24-year-old son Marco was there and refused to open the door. He tried and tried and tried to get his dad on the phone. Norda Bartolo at this point, driving back to Antwerp with his wife, is completely unaware of two things. A, the police have surrounded his house and are about to kick the door in. B, his son is repeatedly calling him over and over again. Unbeknownst to him, his granddaughter had put his phone on silent the night before when she was playing with it. Back in Antwerp, he tried to play it cool, walking into the diamond center as he usually would to collect his mail, waving to the guard. Unfortunately, the guard knew that the police were investigating Norte Bartolo, and they phoned the building manager who immediately called the detectives. Once the police arrived, they found Norte Bartolo chatting with the building manager and began questioning him. His wife took off whilst Norte Bartolo stalled for time pretending to have trouble understanding French and claiming that he couldn't remember the exact address of his apartment and he just knew how to walk there. Eventually, after stalling as much as he could, Norta Bartolo pointed out the apartment. As the police pulled up to Norda Bartolo's apartment, his wife, with just one more minute, would have gotten away with a bag filled with critical evidence. The police took both him and his wife into custody. The police dug out a series of prepaid SIM cards that were linked to mobile phones used exclusively to call the genius, the monster, and Speedy. On the night of the heist, a cell tower in the diamond district logged the presence of all three, plus Nardo Bartolo. During that time, Speedy stayed in constant contact with Nardo Bartolo. The day that Nardo Bartolo was arrested, Italian police broke open the safe in his home in Turin. They found 17 polished diamonds attached to the certificates that the Belgian diamond detectives traced back to the vault. More gems were vacuumed out of rolled up carpets from nord bartolos Antwerp apartment. The Belgian courts came down hard. They found nord bartolo guilty of orchestrating the heist and sentenced him to 10 years in prison. With mobile phone records and the salami sandwich evidence, the Belgian detectives persuaded the French police to raid the home of the monster's girlfriend in the French Riviera. They retrieved marked $100 bills that the detectives say belonged to one of the Diamond Centre victims legal proceedings dragged on but the monster was finally arrested in italy in november 2007 where he was convicted and sentenced for five years in prison when questioned by police the genius admitted that he installed security cameras in Bartolo's office but denied any involvement in the crime nonetheless his dna was found on some of the adhesive tape left in the vault he was extradited back to belgium and in november 2007 he also began a five-year prison sentence speedy too found himself with a five-year sentence the fifth fief has never been identified though police know of his existence via the mobile phone records and dna traces the king of keys was never apprehended so when it's all said and done what actually happened by now all men have served their sentences walking free did the geniuses behind one of the greatest heists in history cracking the uncrackable safe get scammed by a diamond trader or was this all just a great distraction from the truth They pulled the greatest heist in history off. They've served their time in prison, waiting for them somewhere in the Alps, $100 million worth of diamonds. After all, bar a few, the diamonds were never recovered. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Heists. If you've enjoyed the podcast, we'd greatly appreciate you taking the time to subscribe, rate and review. If you enjoyed listening to stories, I'd also love you to go and check out our other podcast, Do You Want to Hear a Story? where recently we've discussed The Great Bookie Heist and Elizabeth Holmes and her billion dollar fraud with her company Theranos.